Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Luke 4, 14 to 21. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. In your pew Bibles, it's page 892 if you want to follow along. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Blessed be the reading of God's word. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. This is the closing of Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, just a little less than a month before he was assassinated, four years into the Civil War. And it was considered by most to be one of the most powerful speeches uh, ever delivered in history. Uh, if you haven't read it, I commend it to you to go home and give it a look-see. But in it, uh, after four years weary from the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln lays out his hopes and his dreams and his intentions for rebuilding the country and reunifying that country. And here we hear him commissioning uh, that effort to God as he goes about it. This text we just heard is Jesus' inaugural address to us and to the church and to the all people. In it, Jesus is, like Abraham Lincoln, laying out his intentions and describing what he is going to be about and what he is making his life work. And he, he chooses uh, to do this in the context of the synagogue. Uh, he, he had been baptized a few chapters prior to this. And in that baptism, we, when he was praying, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And the voice from heaven declared, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then we are told that he was led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert 
to be tested. We'll cover this in Lent, but it comes right before this, <laughs> chronologically. And uh, he is tested in the wilderness, and uh, he is victorious in that testing. He is champion uh, and overcomes those temptations and uh, uh, achieves all that he was trying to achieve out there. And immediately he goes into the synagogue and he, he chooses the scroll from Isaiah and he unrolls it and he, he speaks this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So here again, the Holy Spirit is at work within Jesus Christ and has been from almost the very beginning. And He declares not only that, but that He has been anointed. You know, the anointed one. There's a word in Hebrew for the anointed one. And that word is Messiah. So basically, Jesus just declared Himself the Messiah to His home church. Now you can imagine how that might have been a bit shocking to hear coming from the son of the carpenter who uh, you know, could be a bit sassy and was always kind of causing trouble, I would expect, from the Jesus I know anyway. But at any rate, he is anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Anointed and empowered for what? And he begins to answer that question. Lifting up the oppressed, setting free the captives, giving sight to the blind. And here, as I was saying earlier, Jesus is basically defining what the role of the Messiah is in the world. Or rather, I should say, he's redefining it. Because as I have said many times from this spot, that the kind of Messiah the world was expecting was not someone like Jesus. Not some poor carpenter who spoke of turning the other cheek, who spoke of carrying your burden an extra mile, who spoke of blessed are the poor, who spoke of uh, mercy and praying for those who persecute you. Oh no, that's not the kind of Messiah anyone was signing up for. (laughs) And yet, everyone knew this text was about the Messiah. And there's some critical things Jesus does with this text. The first thing is that he, he, He pulls this out and He says, this is the defining text about what the Anointed One, the Messiah is going to be about. And not only that, uh, but there's some interesting things going on in the text in Isaiah. Jesus makes reference, and actually Isaiah is quoting uh, a, a, a tradition out of Leviticus, the year of the Lord's favor. This is uh, what Leviticus tells us is the year of Jubilee. And it came about every 50 years. Uh, and every 50 years, everything was, would basically go back to the beginning. And, and the slaves, slaves would be set free. Debts would be forgiven. Land would be returned to its original family. Can you imagine that? 
in this day and age? Imagine returning the land back to the Indians <laughs> every 50 years or so. It was meant to be a year of jubilee when everything it goes back to equal. Uh, I should say this is, a, this is what it should have been like every 50 years. There's no evidence or there's no indication that this grand ideal of what it was to be a, uh, one of the people of God and what it was to be a Hebrew ever happened. They never did it. It never took place, as far as we can tell. It was in the law, but it's funny how people kind of skip over those parts and move on to, to things like, you know, who to condemn for, uh, you know, wearing for touching pigskin or something like that, right? But they skip over this, give up all your debts every 50 years kind of business. So in this address, Jesus declares the year of the Lord's favor. And in fact, some scholars have looked at uh, the year around 26 or 27 was supposed to be that, that year. Now, I don't know if that coincides with when Jesus did this, but they were, they were supposed to be in that season somewhere around there. But of course it didn't happen. It never happens. But Jesus declares that day to be at hand. Declares a year of jubilee as He stands in the synagogue. He basically says, it's time for debts to be forgiven. It's time for slaves to be set free. It's time for equity and everyone to be returned to an equal footing. It's time for that. And then he leaves out something that comes... If you were to read Isaiah, it would say uh, that... Uh, it would say to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then it would say, and vengeance on our enemies. Jesus somehow leaves that part out. <laughs> uh, sending us a message about what kind of Messiah... He is. Oh, we're going to do the equality part. Oh, we're going to do the setting slaves free part. Oh, we're going to forgive the debts part. We're going to lift up the oppressed part. We're going to set the captives free part. We're going to leave out the vengeance part. We're going to leave that to God in God's wisdom. This is interesting what Jesus is conveying to us. And again, why is this good news? This is good news because Jesus is saying, this is what I am about. This is what my ministry is about. This is what I am going to make my life's work right now. Is letting the oppressed go free. Letting the captives go. Giving sight to the blind. Jesus declares that the task is not one that isolates Israel from the world, but this task is one that goes out and engages the world. It's not one that says, oh, let's all hold up here and be pure. It's one that says, we got to get out there and get our hands dirty. Amen? You really should be amen in that kind of thing. You really should. Let me help you out there. Engaging the world with love, compassion, justice, and mercy. And by extension, if this is what Jesus was about, 
If this is Jesus' inauguration, if this is what Jesus was going to make His life work, it is a calling to you and to me as followers of Christ and as the body of Christ that this is what we are about as well. That's a good place for another amen. We're going to get this down, folks. We're going <laughs> to It's been 6 years. I think we can we uh, we need to start, you know, getting a momentum here. Amen. <laughs> this is the heart of Christianity ultimately, and it is the mission that engages the world out there. And I know it's cold and snowy out there, but that's where we're called to go. This this is not the ministry. This is not the mission. This thing we do here on Sunday mornings. This is the celebration. This is the icing on the cake. This is the cherry on top. Amen? This is what we do in celebration of all that God has done uh, over the last week. We get to do it every week. We get to rejoice in the ministry that God has been doing. We get to celebrate it. Like family dinner on Sunday nights. Remember that? How wonderful, what a joyous occasion that was? This is that joyous occasion we get to celebrate. This is not the ministry. This is our celebration of what the ministry is. We, like Christ, are called to bring good news to the poor. It is a truth that as long as there are people living in poverty, we have a role to play out there advocating like we're going to do on February 4th, right? Uh, intervening and insisting on justice for the disenfranchised. A voice for the voiceless. We have a role to play as long as there is one panhandler at the end of the freeway on-ramp. We have a role to play. And those are difficult things. I, I'm not talking about just rolling down the window a crack and handing someone a dollar. That's easy. It's drive up charity right guys doing a job doing us a service giving us those warm fuzzies i don't even have to open my window the whole way we're talking about real solutions for real problems as long as there are people we have a role to play those who are dealing with that but there are people who are poor in spirit as well all around us that's what matthew adds that blessed are the poor in spirit those who have lost their hope those who are looking for something to hang on to. I'll tell you what, we see a lot more of that in our daily lives than we do the folks who are completely without resource. And we have a ministry all about the good news of hope to those who are poor in spirit. That's what we do. We're, a, we're ministers of compassion here at First Baptist Church. It's one of our primary things. Amen? It's one of the primary things we do. And we must find a way to bring that sense of hope out into the world to those who are poor in spirit and those who are poor in reality. We must find a way. We, like Christ, are called to declare release to the captives. You know, in Jesus' day, this was an issue of justice, right? Uh, rapists and murderers and all of those kinds of people, they didn't go to jail. They got killed or they got executed or they got punished by 
thieves got their hands lobbed off and stuff like that. They didn't go to jail. Jail was reserved for people who couldn't pay their taxes because they'd been bled dry by the domination system of Rome and the Jewish aristocracy. And prison was reserved for those who spoke out against it. Those were the ones who went to prison. So when Jesus says, I'm declaring the captives made free, it's about social justice. It's about letting those go who are trying to make the world a better place and who are being held down. Here, here once was, there once was a time when the church, we, the church, were the leaders in social justice. But now the perception by many is that the church is in opposition to social justice. I don't know how that happened. You know, we who are the beneficiaries of Walter Rauschenbusch should not ever have let that happen, that social justice is an enemy of the church. Where did that come from? We need to shout that again. Uh, we need to lift up the social gospel uh, again. And if you haven't read Walter Rauschenbusch's book, The Social Gospel, I, again, I commend that to you uh, and to hear what he is saying to the church today about that. We are called to declare freedom to the captives and to fight for justice for all people. And there's another kind of captivity, though, that is in our midst. A captivity that is of our own making. A chain that we have forged ourselves. Unhealthy and unwhole behaviors and choices that can feel as though we are shackled. For some, it's addiction or overindulgence. For others, it's poor choices in our relationships that bleed us dry. For others, it's past hurts and wounds that we won't allow to heal, that keep holding on, that keep controlling us, that shackle us down, and we drag them around like a long, heavy chain. Ours is a ministry of wound binding. Amen? Ours is a ministry of helping others take off their own chains. You know, sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ think that their job is to just point to the chain and keep reminding people of their chain. Look at your chain. That chain is so long. Thank God I don't have a chain like that. <laughs> I'm so glad my chain doesn't look like your chain. <laughs> Because that is an ugly chain. Right? That, sometimes this is what Christians think their job is. No, 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 no. Our job is to go hold on while that person chisels away at that chain. Ours is to, is to hold the, the, the little chisel thing while they whack away with the hammer and hope that they don't hit us with the hammer, right? So because we'll get hurt. That's our job. Our job is to you know pull it away as they're chiseling it. It's not it's not that we go and take it off either, right? We're here to help this person rip apart that chain link by link sometimes and take it away. 
You don't need to point. They know it's there. They, they know. In fact, if anything, we ought to be looking at our own chain a little bit. Taking a look at that. Get our own chisel out. And within these walls, I've got to say, miraculous things have happened. And, and if you haven't seen that, you're not looking. If you have not seen the transformation of personal lives in our midst, uh, maybe we're not pointing it out enough, but the, it's happening here. Amen? Amen. I have seen it. I have seen the transformation. Miraculous things have happened as people let go of pastors and let go of those chains and let go of their own sins. There, I said it. Sins. Let go of those things and let them go. Uh, miraculous things have taken place. But the ministry is out there too. Right? Somehow, this same thing must be carried out into the world. It, you know, it, somehow we have got to take that same safe, comforting, supportive nature that we have here in, in these walls out into that world so that those chains can come off too. Amen? Somehow, we've got to unbind and help to unbind the captives. We, like Christ, are called to give sight to the blind. Oh, there are those who can't see and those who choose not to see and, and are choosing not to see the world the way it is. The way it is now and choosing not to see the way it could be. As followers of Christ, we cannot live out the kingdom of God by turning a blind eye. We've got to look full on at the world with a realistic eye and allowing we cannot allow the world to turn a blind eye to the realities of how far this world is from where God intends it to be and we're good at this I gotta say we're good at it and, and sometimes it takes like a Martin Luther King Jr. sometimes it takes a prophet to come into our midst and say you cannot turn a blind eye to this anymore you must look at it, you must face it, and you must get rid of it. And we, as followers of Christ, we are called to give sight to those who are blind to the realities of this world and the contrast that it is to the way God intends this world to be. We're called to highlight that. Once again, this speaks of social justice, but, it, but it's even deeper than that. It's not enough to just preach how the kingdom of God is different. We must live out that kingdom of God in a way that the world can finally see that things can be different. We have got to live it out. Which means that our choices need to reflect a kingdom of God perspective. Not a world perspective. And that's hard. Someone who loves to go shopping, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard not to be sucked into the world's values around us. We're called to something else. And, and sometimes that task seems so impossible in the world we live in, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard to see where the kingdom of God is at work. Especially, especially when we rely 
on uh, the television or the internet or the news to do it for us. I don't know why we think the news is going to point out the kingdom of God because they don't. Here's an example. Uh, Israel and Palestine have been at war since the 60s. Since the 40s, really. Uh, They've been at war with each other, hate each other. There's no peace. There's no peace. Uh, And there are big powers that make a lot of money off of keeping the Middle East unstable, unstable, and at war with each other. However, there's this little community called Nev Shalom. Have you ever heard of it? A lot of people haven't because we, it never gets lifted up very often in our, in our world today. Nev Shalom is, a, is an intentional community where Jews and Muslim Palestinians and Christians all live together in an equitable community with intention toward peace. And, and this, this community has been thriving for 40 years. Living out that which we think as we look at the world, we go, it, they're never going to get along. They're never going to bridge this gap. They are never going to find peace. They're never going to f- be just to one another. B.S. Here's a a whole community that's been living it out. And that's what we are called to do. So that when people say, you can't have the kingdom of God, that's pie-in-the-sky thinking. That's naive. You're naive and stupid. We can say, no, I'm not. I'm living it out right here. And they can't say that anymore. We are living it out right here. Come to First Baptist, you'll see what I'm talking about. Although, even better, just come to my house, come to my place of business, come to my city, come to my world, (laughs) and see what God has been doing and can do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Amen? And has anointed us. To declare good news. And it's not just coming from our mouth. We are the embodiment of that good news. Let us pray. Great and loving God, this is a challenging call. One we've heard before. One we continue to hear. Help us. Help us to seek the kingdom of God in our own lives and in our own world. Help us to live it out, to herald it in, and to be ambassadors of your goodwill to a hurt and broken world around us. May we not cast our gaze inward, but look out and wonder, where is God looking to work out in the world? May we be eager your agents, and your hands and feet in this hurt and broken world. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.